Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 69. And of course, we, as always, have a super special guest on the show. But before we get into that, let me remind you that if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can not only hear our gentil voices, but... <laughs> gentil. Yeah, I just thought okay. I'd change it up this time. Okay. Uh, you can also see us in full Technicolor over on YouTube. All you have to do is go over to youtube.com forward slash camera shake. And whilst you're there, why don't you just hit that little subscribe button, hit the thing that whatever YouTubers tell you to do. That's always a good idea. It would make us very happy. Now, that being said, it's episode 69. And with us today is none other than the award-winning wedding photographer, um, the Canon Explorer of Light educator, author, um, contributor to Shuttermac, and ex-professora de español, as well as Red Synth Fandle and Dungeons and Dragons connoisseur. Give it up for Vanessa Joy <laughs> on the show today. Hey, Vanessa, how are you doing? I'm good. That is quite the introduction. And you've got all my favorite things in there, except for a maker of wine. That needs to be added. Okay, we, well, start we will that. talk about that yeah. because I am actually from a wine region. So I have vested interest. Ooh, in fantastic. Yeah, cool. Uh, Vanessa, we're, I'm so happy that you're on the show. It's fantastic. We've been trying to um, get you to come on the show for a little while, and uh, it's awesome that you're here. Um, now, it's been a while since we've had a wedding photographer mm -hmm. on the podcast, because when we first started... Because <laughs> we're all um, so boring. <laughs> no, not a bit. No, no, no. no, no. Actually, I tell you what, when we first started the, the podcast, and you know, very, very early on, we decided it would be a good idea to have guests on the show. Um, you know, we obviously drew from people we knew in our immediate, you know, um, environment, basically. And and a lot of our friends are wedding photographers. And so we had, we had quite a lot of wedding photographers on <laughs> early on. And then we kind of thought, you know, it would be a good idea to get people on who who specialize in other fields. And then for some reason, it just sidetracked. And then uh, we haven't spoken to a wedding photographer since then. Mm. So it's been a while. So that's even that's even more interesting. You're, in, you're based in New Jersey. Is that right? I'm based in New Jersey, so I do New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania weddings. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's it's been it's been a, I mean, wedding photography the wedding industry has had a really tough time. Um Yes, it has, especially by year. me. It really has. And I'm actually come November, I'm moving to Austin, Texas, and oh, wow. they didn't have so bad. I mean, they had like a couple months where it was a a oh. knock to the wedding industry. But not like us, uh, you know, even now, just because of the uncertainty of what may or may not happen in the fall, we're having more people start rescheduling again in the fall. Thankfully, not me yet, but a lot of my friends. Yeah. So is that because different states have got different restrictions in place over the last sort of 18 months? Yes. Different states have different restrictions for whatever reason they decide to have those restrictions. So some of them base it on like... COVID cases, some of them base it on like the death rate, some of that, like, it's not even that they have different stuff. It's that they're like basing it on different things. And uh, mm. more recently, they're basing it on the percent of people vaccinated. So right. so over here in the UK, we've had uh, restrictions as far as weddings were concerned um, in terms of the amount of people that could take part right. in, in a wedding. So I think it, it was at one point, it was down to 15. Well, at, at one point, it was zero weddings. It was just not happening. Right. Um, and then it went, you know, they opened up and 15 it was, people, we had 30 people as well. Yeah. And then it's, it's like then open. Yeah. Now it's, yeah. it's just very recently it's opened up again. Has that, was that similar, um, over New York where you are? It was, 
But even when they went down to like 150 people, which sounds like a lot of people in my area in the in the Northeast, weddings are massive. Like a 150 right. person wedding is probably your average. But then when you get into more of the weddings that I do, um, you know, 200, 400, there's actually a lot of Orthodox Jewish weddings around here, which is upwards of five, mm. 600. If you get into Indian weddings, sometimes you're looking at a 1500 person wedding. So. Wow. Those numbers, if they even went down a little bit, a lot of my couples were like, I, I just can't. I'm going to have half of my family mad at me. I guess I have yeah. to reschedule, even if I could have had 150. Or some of them had two weddings. Wow. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because a few years ago, I went um, to a friend of mine's wedding in New Jersey and um, they had all the Italian family there. It's like a big Italian wedding. It was Are they huge. The uh, Sopranos, aren't they? It was a little bit like that. Yeah. It was a little bit like the Sopranos. They were Sicilians. Yes, I do actually. apologize for my fellow Jersey Italians. <laughs> <laughs> it was always awesome. It was actually the the uh, the bride was um, you know Italian American or Sicilian American, I should say, and her family came over from Sicily. Well, a lot of them, and uh, and the groom was from California, and so you had that that mix between That's a mix man <laughs> yeah and it was a great party a bit of hey it was awesome yo dude uh, it was, you had a bit of that yeah, yeah it was great it yeah. was great okay. it was actually super enjoyable um and well worth doing but i think it went on for about five days good wow <laughs> wow so, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a big family affair because so many relatives you know um had come over from abroad and so you know it just turned into this this multi-day affair it was great super fun yeah huge you know, I've, I thought about this a while ago because um, I was watching some some program and it, it, it kind of came up with a number of guests and things mm. like that. And if I got married again today, I don't think I could, I could invite more than 20 people. <laughs> I don't think I know that many people anymore. I have no friends. You? No, no. <laughs> It'd be like me, the dog. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it actually, in fact, I mean, I did get married only a few years ago and uh, we... we um, we we try to keep it to like a really small wedding mm -hmm. because in a previous life I used that's to, what I'd say too. It's like, yeah, I'm trying well, to keep it small. <laughs> yeah, so, but you know, in a in a previous in a previous life, I used to be a musician. I am still a musician, and I used to play a lot of weddings. And so when um, when my wife and I decided to get married, you know, I kind of went, you know, I'm a bit wedding out. I've played so many weddings. I'm like, I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know, let's keep it super small. And she, it was her second wedding. Oh, you know, a second marriage. And she's already had the big wedding the first time around. And mm -hmm. so she was like, yeah, I can do without that. So, you know, we kind of agreed on that. And so, but the, the problem is that that uh, she's Canadian and uh, part of, like half of my family live in Canada. And then the other half of my family live in, in Germany. And so we kind of thought like, why don't we just do a tiny little super small backyard wedding over here? And we just invite our, our British relatives for a barbecue. And then we we go to Germany and then we'll invite my German relatives for a barbecue there. And then we go to Canada and, um, and by sheer coincidence, her and my family are about an hour apart. And so we just did. Did have you have a barbecue? Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing was like, of course the Brits, you know, when we, when we said like, oh, we're going to go to Germany and, you know, we're going to have a, another little kind of garden wedding there. They all went, yeah, we're coming. Oh, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh! Invited themselves. Yeah, so they all came. Like, yeah, yeah. So we basically filled up half the plane and we went over to Germany, and it was oh. good fun. I mean, you know, but see, then you know the multiple wedding thing that that is going on now, which is definitely happening more and more. I know. Mm -hmm. So, but is it? Uh, I think so. Slightly or, or slowly going back to normal for you. Are you getting busier again now. 
Oh, we're swamped. I mean, you ask a wedding photographer, really probably anywhere in the world right now, everyone Mm. is just swamped. They're calling this the biggest wedding boom since 1984. So, you know, I usually cap it at 20 weddings. I don't like doing more than that. I used to do 40, 50 weddings myself. And I just, I I didn't connect with the couples. I'd walk in Mm. and be like, which one's getting married again? Which one is this? Did I do an engagement session with you guys? Like it, it was just too much. And then you lose all creativity for me anyway. Hmm. So we cap at uh, 20, but this year with all the reschedules and so many more people, you know, COVID proposals, like they're getting married after realizing they can live through quarantine together. Uh, It's just crazy. (laughs) I think I have 34 or 36. I stopped counting and I literally emailed my office manager last night, like, do not let me do anything else. Do not let me put anything else in the calendar. I can't do it anymore. Like I just wish I, I don't put my camera down ever. It's crazy. Yeah. So what was it like, like that first moment, you know, when, um, like back in, in 2020, when things all of a sudden sort of fell apart, what was that like, like that, you know? Well, it was, I'm not going to say it was denial. I wasn't in denial of what was going on, but my, my, most like a lot of people were just like, I, I don't know how long this is going to last. Like, yo, they said, at least here, they're like, oh yeah, just give it, give us two weeks to contain the spread. We just don't want the hospitals overrun. And then that two weeks turned into like almost like a really long time. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was slow. So yeah. the first, I think the first wedding I had that year actually was May, which was super rare. I usually start in March or April, but it just happened to be May. And, you know, that one a few weeks beforehand came and we're like, okay, yeah, you're going to reschedule the wedding. And then June came and then July. And it was just a slow taking away of my livelihood (laughs) throughout Mm. the year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't like happen all at once. I think, you know, because no one knew how long it was going to last. And I had some people, you know, in June that were rescheduling their November weddings. But for the most part, it was just like every two months, you would know if you were canceling the next two months. And that's actually something that the reception halls around here had to put their foot down to deal with all the reschedules is that you were not allowed to reschedule your wedding until 30 days before it, because they were, and it sounds so cruel. It does. However, they were just so inundated and, you know, me losing income is one thing, but when a hall with that kind of overhead loses income, and that many employees is a whole different ballpark. So they just had to, they had to find some way to not, you know, starve and let all the buildings go dilapidated and control all the couples fighting over dates now. So I I would say they had it worse than any of us. I can, I I don't shoot weddings myself, but I do play in a a wedding function band uh, because I'm a musician Mm. as well. And I, I can relate to every single word you just described. You know, we had a set. We're not going to consider consider postponing until six weeks before your date. That was our strip. We just had to. So we, we do like 65, 70 a year. And right. that's a lot to get to reschedule. And so we ended up with these three columns of clients of those who are insistent, I'm still going to go ahead. Those that wanted to postpone to two months, three months, four months, five months down the line. Mm-hmm. And then those right. that had the foresight to go, this might go on for a while. Let's go at least a year ahead. And, right. and, 
and this these lists just you could see these people moving from column to column as the weeks progressed. It was did it was you, a nightmare. Did you have any any couples that completely reconsidered and then decided not to get married after one? Really? One. Because they yeah. Think well, bravo, you realized this is before it was too late. <laughs> I want to be a divorce photographer. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, probably a couple of That's much more on, exciting. Right? Probably yeah. have to have a lot higher liability insurance for that. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> really good medical Medicare as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, over here, I think we went into like it. We went into total national lockdown, and it was literally from one day to the next. Mm-hmm. So for us, you know, I think maybe a little bit different in the sense that it literally all happened in one day. You know, it was just one day of never-ending phone calls of just everything stopping. You know. And, and you, you wake up the next morning and you go, huh, it's time for Netflix, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, time for Netflix again. Guess I'm not going out again. Guess I'm not working, which is the weirdest thing as a wedding photographer when you are not a, like on a wedding when you're supposed to be on a wedding. Like that freaks you out. So how did you... You've, you've what, got a, uh, a, an audience. I've got a toddler. <laughs> yeah. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> So about the realities of, you know, lockdown and it's the same as working from home. You just have toddlers that want you and want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It's real life. I used to like uh, make them go outside or like you have to be in your room. But more recently, I think not that it's like acceptable necessarily, but people are more understanding. And I love showing people like this life isn't perfect because I think Mm -hmm. people look at, you know, successful, very specifically successful moms that are business owners. And they think, oh, they just have some magical get it together pill that like is making this work. And the answer is no. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> we have the same crying toddlers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's, that's probably, I, I really consider that being one of the positive aspects of this whole um, pandemic thing, you know, and the fact that we've been doing so much more over like, you know, video conferencing and Zoom and whatever else. And so right. now a lot of things are a lot more acceptable now than they maybe were before that. You know, I remember when when we first started, um, you know, podcasting from home, like my dog, would, he was a puppy, you know, and the puppy would walk in, <laughs> would stick his head in, you know, your cat comes to visit us. Just just so you know, your dog doing that is still unacceptable. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just an unacceptable dog. That's just it. Oh, he's annoying. Yeah, for sure. But that's just how it is, you know. And um, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same. I think it's the same with kids or cats. Kids or cats? Kid, yeah, I don't know where yeah. my, my cats are gone. So, <laughs> so what? how did you refocus at a time to keep yourself busy? Like, mm. how did you react to that situation at the time? I won't say I reacted with grace. I was very angry. (laughs) I was definitely angry. But I have all of this educational side stuff that that I did in video production. And I'm very fortunate because I married a videographer. So when no one could create content, Hmm. I was an in-house production team talent and video. So we actually got a ton of work just from corporate and, you know, educational stuff, things that had to be done still because in some ways the world was like still moving. And because everyone was online, everyone wanted more video content than normal. Mm -hmm. So 
thank God we had actually a pretty good year because of all that, which is now very difficult because now we have the bombardment of all the weddings, but we still have all that video work, not yeah. quite as much. Um, but it was nice because we would do things, for example, Adorama. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're a camera mm-hmm. store in New York. They do a lot more than just cameras, but they created this challenge series called Create No Matter What. And it was based off of things that you could do in your home to be inspired, to be creative. I did challenges that were like multiple exposures, actually using older photos that I had of couples Mm -hmm. so that it like felt like I was still photographing people versus like, hmm, I guess I'll photograph my dolls today, uh, which I did at one (laughs) point, actually. (laughs) But yeah, there were always little things. And I think I like to look at the positive side. I know, I, I think almost no one can say that the past 18 months have been positive in any way. However, I think a lot of us got closer to the things that we found important and didn't have time for beforehand. So, you know, I got closer to my family, including my parents, uh, who are actually moving to Texas with us and building a house on the other side of the cul-de-sac. So like, that's a good thing. You know, uh, it's also a good thing that I basically watch both of our businesses go down the tube. And in my mind, it was like, oh my gosh, how would we survive without these wedding businesses? Cause I actually don't like New Jersey. I hate the cold. I hate winter so much. Um, and I don't like state income tax either. So we've always wanted to move, but we never did because it was like, oh my God, we would never survive. How can we do that? And then this, well, you know what? We survived with zero notice that we needed to survive. So if we were able to do that, then we can certainly move across the country with a year's notice. So I think a, a good came, I'm not gonna say a lot of good, I think good came out of it. And I'm just choosing to look at that. It just shows that if you're willing to be flexible and just take, you know, the attitude that I cannot do anything about what's going on there. I just need to turn this way or turn that way to go and pivot, <laughs> keep going. Right. You know what I mean? And those, I think yeah. those people that were able to do that over the last 18 months have come out. Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, this isn't the best phrase to use, but have come out on top. Right. Um, and those that haven't done that and have just sat, no, I'm, I want to stick with what I was doing before, 100%. I don't really want to do anything else. Those people perhaps have not come out on top. And perhaps they're some of those businesses that have folded in the last 18 months, oh, unfortunately. Plenty, plenty that have. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, it's easy It's easy to give in to the negativity in a situation like yeah. that. And it's, it's full, I fully understand how that's, how, 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 you know, somebody can get dragged into, um, into that. It's, I think it does take some cojones to basic to really turn it around and basically say, right, this is going to stop right now. You know, and I'm going to look at the opportunities in this and I'm going to turn this around. And from now on, the glass is going to be half full rather than half empty. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And it took, I mean, it took us, you know, I mean, it's, again, you know, we mentioned this pretty much every week, really. But, um, you know, this, this podcast is a complete um, result of the pandemic. And it's, it's a direct result of us sitting at home going, what are we going to do now? Because everything just got canceled and I'm sick mm-hmm. of Netflix, <laughs> you know? Yes. And, um, and that was literally what it is. It was us on the phone, you know, one day going like, uh, I think we got to do something. Otherwise, yeah. you know, we're going to go crazy. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that's obviously it's led to 
know, we're now nearly 70, 70 uh, episodes in. It's, it's led to something that's, that's really now become really a, a staple for us every week. You know, we do this every week. And we've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of really interesting people and learn a lot in the, in the process. And it's made us better photographers. And actually, in a, in a weird way, it's redirected both of our careers uh, in, in a slightly different direction um, that was completely unforeseeable and most likely wouldn't have happened had it not been for the pandemic. So that's, you know, those are the, the positive outcomes. Absolutely. Um, and it's been, you know, it made a lot more sense to focus on these things and focus on, on um, opportunities that we can create that way uh, rather than focusing on all the contracts that we'd lost, like mm -hmm. all, all the commercial, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, shoots and everything that, that went down the drain because, because everything just got canceled. And, you know, for, for me, it's, you know, especially in, in the beginning, I used to shoot a lot of um, conferences, for example. And of course, the conference mm -hmm. industry over here is still dead in the water. It's not going to be coming back for another six months, at least, I think, you know, or maybe yeah. longer than that. So it was just a, a way to, to deal with, with the, the road ahead, you know. Um, Absolutely. Anyway, now, <laughs> that being said, I think we've... we've We've literally talked the pandemic to death. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about <laughs> which your, is um, funny. Everyone does, and we're all sick of it. Somehow it's the only thing we can talk about. So yeah, yeah. But you know, the interesting else. thing about this is um, <laughs> the interesting thing about this is is that that's really something that connects all of us. You know, we've yeah. all had that experience all over the world. You know, no matter what our cultural differences are, or, or what, what country we're from, or what we'll do, um, we've all had that same experience, and it's it's it, really interesting, and it has been really. Um, it's really educational for us and hopefully for our listeners to listen to how other people who are in a similar situation have dealt with that situation because the amount of time, I mean, the amount of times that after, you know, after recording an episode, we sit there and we go like, you know what, that's a really good idea. We should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been incredible and it's helped, it's helped us. And uh, from the responses that we've gotten, um, you know, over the months, I know that it has helped a lot of our listeners as well to deal with their own situations that they were in because you know i tend to think that there are a lot of photographers this you know who listen to to our podcast otherwise why would you listen to this course true it's called the camera shake podcast i mean you know yeah, i've made no absolutely no secret about how the start of last march and april made me feel oh, and, yeah. and how that got to me for for months and months and months and connecting with um so many amazing people first and photographers second like like yourself and that just it just brings you around it brings you back around that, that oh, sure. everybody's feeling exactly the same way no matter what business you're in whatever you're yeah. doing and the people that we've we've been speaking to are just so inspiring that they've done x y and z to push themselves and to you know navigate in a slightly different direction as i was saying hmm. You know, that that just mm -hmm. brings good feelings and just makes you feel better about what's going on. Going, yeah, I can. I can get through this. I can make this change. Yeah. I can be happy yeah, again. We're not alone. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway. Did you manage to to spend a lot, lot more time on your YouTube channel? Because of I that? have. I, well, I started my YouTube channel about four months before the pandemic. So okay. I it was not a pandemic result. It was something I was planning on doing anyway. And I did get more time to focus on that, which definitely helped. Uh, but now I was posting every week, sometimes twice a week. And then now I have had to go to every other week. I just need to give myself that little mm. bit of buffer, a little bit of grace and understand yeah. that 
my real job is I'm a real photographer, technically. <laughs> yeah. I don't unlike, just play one on the internet. <laughs> so this is the thing. You're a real photographer, unlike some other people with froze that we all know. <laughs> Actually, that's it. That's his line, too. Is he, he, say, he says that to me all the time. I'm not a real photographer. I just play one on the internet. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know. I came across your video, uh, and uh, it's it was just you know something that made me chuckle. Um, Good. You know. <laughs> I tell you what, the first time I came across some of your educational content was actually on creative life. So this goes back a little mm -hmm. while, I guess. Yeah. Um, and um, what, so what confused me at the time was I came across uh, one of your courses called Yoga for Photographers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Which is, and I don't know if you know this, but there's a hilarious coincidence because there is, in fact, a very well-known yoga teacher in London by the same name. So I really? got totally, yeah. So I, Vanessa Joy, you, if you look it up on, online, it's hilarious. And I'm like, that's huh? so funny. <laughs> it's like, I want to look this up. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so that was fine. But uh, the other, the other video that uh, made me chuckle was, yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. Um, the other, the other video, uh, that made me, oh, the other course that, that made me chuckle on that was, um, uh, was how to shoot, how to shoot in the rain because, <laughs> Let me tell you, my wedding was a total disaster. Um, in fact, my like I got married in August, four years ago, maybe five years ago. My wife doesn't watch this podcast, so I might be saying, "Thank God, we're in <laughs> no, trouble right. otherwise." Uh, <laughs> um, but the day that I got married on was the wettest August day since 1945 in Britain, oh. and it was a oh. flipping nightmare. That being said. It made for some of the most amazing, most memorable, and most unique wedding photos um, I've ever seen. And we still have, we have like a little box, a little wooden box with prints on the windowsill. So we, you know, we, we look at them quite regularly uh, because the thing was that we have, I mean, we live in, on the outskirts of London and it's quite oldie worldy out here, a little Mary Poppins and a little, you know, <laughs> Jane Austen. I've never heard Ricky own Mary. Well, before. yeah, I mean, we, basically, we have some we have some lakes and a canal um, nearby my house, and it's like this oldie worldy Victorian bridge, and it is very Jane Austen. And so we kind of thought, oh, wouldn't it be great um, to have some wedding photos done on this on this Victorian bridge, you know, um, and blah blah blah. And so our wedding photographer went like, oh, yeah, cool, no problem. But then it was pouring down on the day, and I'd already <laughs> given up all hope because it was literally. It was chucking it down. And so I'm like, okay, well, we're going to have to scrap that idea. So why don't we just, you know, forget about that and, and do some photos around here, blah, blah, blah. And, and our photographer went, well, I'm up for it if you are. And then nice. my wife in a full, full bridal dress went, yeah, okay. I'll just put some wellies on. Let's go. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> let's go. So we went and uh, yeah. And, as, as, and we got drenched. We got totally drenched, like to the bone, but the resulting photos are just amazing. You know, it's, it's like in the full on pouring rain. It's fantastic. So when I saw that video on creative live, I'm like, Oh yeah, that brings back memories. I'm, I know what yep. it's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have to, I mean, especially where you guys are, where I am, I think there's, I don't know, it's less than half the year has sunny days. So yeah, you're probably going to get a lot of rain. So you have to know how to deal with it. And they really are such amazing pictures. Granted, I don't want to stand outside and get soaking wet, no bride, no groom does, but yeah. makes for some good stuff later. How did you get into the educational side of photography in the first place? 
Well, I used to be a Spanish teacher, so I have a degree in education. I know how to teach anything to anyone, obviously, that I'm aware of that I know. But I had gone to a conference. I think it was WPPI, I want to say. And I went and looked at a photographer, went to the class, and I just, I loved it. And I wanted to learn, I think it was about lighting or flash or something along those lines. And it was such a horrible experience because this person had no idea how to teach a concept. And in my head, I'm like, granted, I don't know flash yet, but I know how to teach. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I could probably do this. And I don't have any like stage fright or anything like that. And for me, it was actually during a time where I was actively teaching and actively a teacher. And I just thought, well, let me give it a try. And I had a friend of mine that worked for, a local PPA, which is Photographers of America. Uh, we used to have like local meetings. Mm-hmm. So I offered to speak and horrible. I tried to like teach marketing along with uh, photo video fusion. So I was teaching with my husband at the time. It was just like way too much and too little time. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, and half of it was like preaching versus teaching. Although we did actually teach the concepts pretty well. But it's definitely evolved since then. I think that was probably 11 years ago in the back of like a rickety diner that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> so it, um, your your YouTube channel is is very much kind of based around or centered around um, educational content if, and, and contains a lot of um, flash tutorials. Is that sort of the direction you want to continue to go on that? Flash is something that so many photographers find overwhelming. And I remember when I did too, and I tried to go learn Flash and everywhere I went, it was like they were speaking French to me at the same time they're trying to teach me French. Like, you know, speaking in the photographer's. And when I didn't understand (laughs) that language yet, it was so frustrating to me. So Flash, after I finally learned it, it's like, this can be so much easier to digest. It doesn't have to be this massive crazy thought, right? Um, So I wanted to make it easy and more accessible to people who thought that it just wasn't accessible, that it was too difficult, there was too much equipment, or they're going to make too many mistakes. And now who cares about the mistakes? It's digital, you know? (laughs) It doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, things like flash and lighting in in general, you... (sighs) People go on YouTube to find out, and it's, you know, don't get me wrong, YouTube is... I use it every single day to learn something or other, but how do I phrase this in the right way? There are a lot of people out there who want to share information, but I feel like they have a, and again, this might be the wrong phrase to use, a a sense of grandeur about what they know and make it come across as this incredibly difficult idea and concept when Actually, if you can, if you you if you have enough knowledge that you can just see past what they're saying, go. Well, actually, if you just said that and that, I totally have understood what you were going on about. Right. But you took ten minutes to huh. tell me something <clears throat> and explain all this knowledge that you have, and you've just made it confusing. So, okay, I need to watch that again now. What, what were you going on? Yeah, about? Yeah, you know what it is. You know? Flash is based on math, right, and physics. Mm-hmm because well, it's just light and there's rules of light and things like that. But in order to like turn on a light switch, you don't really need to know about what's going on behind the wall when you first start learning. So I feel the same way about flash. I don't need to get you to understand what inverse square law is and what watt seconds are. 
I don't care. I just want you to turn on the light and start using it. <laughs> then you can learn all that stuff and get better at it. Yeah, I think I mean there's there's a number of things. One the, the one of the problems, one of the issues with YouTube is that in the beginning, um, it's hard to know what you don't know, or it's impossible to know what right. you don't know. And then you're you're confronted with this sea of information. Um and I think the first task and is always- And it's impossible to know who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. So well, like you exactly. can sit there and learn it completely wrong and you won't know it until five years later uh -huh. when you figure it yeah. out what's really what's wrong. Yeah, and also, and also you know, of course, um, from an educational point of view, it, it's so important to to um, connect with a teacher that, that you can actually connect with, you know, uh, and that's different for different people, which is why it kind of makes sense to have multiple, you know, lots of people um, on, on YouTube, for example, um, teaching things. Um, and so that, that takes a time. I mean, for me, I remember when I first got into, when I first got into flash photography, so I've been shooting for, for a long time. I shot with natural light because for some reason there was, was there was some snobbery involved, I guess, at the time, you know, I like, I'm a natural light photographer. Dad. You're a snobby yes. purist. But really, <laughs> yeah, but really, you know, what I really meant was like, I have no idea how to use it. And I think Mark Wallace to told me everything I know right. about nice. speed lights. <laughs> I will tell him you said so. He's yeah. very I think good at bringing yeah, things down simply. Yeah, he was on a show a little while ago. And we, we, had a, we had a chat about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was just something, you know, I came across some of his videos. I totally connected um, with the way that he taught. It made total sense for me. Mm -hmm. he, he worked at exactly the right pace and at the right level for me at a time. I mean, right. This goes back probably 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, longer than that, maybe. I don't know. When, whenever his creative life class came out, which must have been like, that's longer than that, I think. Yeah, 2008 yeah. or whatever. Um, but it just worked, you know. It was just it was perfect for me, and uh, I learned a ton. And of course, then to get to to you know uh, move from speed lights to studio lighting, it's actually not that much of a step. I think once mm -mm. you know once you've got the basics down on that. Yeah, in fact, I think strobes are easier because they have more power range, so you have more yeah. flexibility in what you're doing. What's interesting, especially when it comes to wedding photographers, especially the wedding photographers that we've spoken to on on this uh, on this podcast, is that we've had a number of people who are who were like really sort of strict natural light fly on the wall uh, wedding photographers, and then of course, um, you know, you compare that to some of your imagery, for example, which has really interesting, um, like backlighting. Sometimes it's just incredible. And this is like this is the kind of thing for me since I also don't really shoot weddings that much, um, unless somebody twist my arm, you know, <laughs> or it's my cousin or something. Then I'll shoot. Um, but this, this, is a, this is a really interesting concept. And I love that imagery. Um, did it take you a long time to get into that or to get the handle on that? Or how did you, how did you first get into artificial lighting on weddings? Well, I, I was bored to be honest. So I, I learned as like a natural light photographer. I think everyone does. Nobody learns with a flash kind of on the camera, maybe a little bit, but I was the second shooter. So the guy that I second shot for primarily, he, the only flash that we used was either during family formals, which was just for him on his camera, or we used it during the reception. So naturally I just used all natural light. And then hmm. I would say about nine years ago, eight years ago, something like that. I was using off-camera flash. I knew how to do like a thing or two, but I wasn't super proficient in it. And I was getting to the point of burnout that particular year. And I had to choose something to get myself to keep going. So I chose flash. I was like, you know what? Let me level up. Let me actually concentrate on this. So I have something to work towards, look forward to, 
do something different than I'm typically doing at any given wedding. And that's when I really started to push into it a little bit more and do the basics, you know, doing like a backlight rain shot, for example, or a nighttime shot a little bit. But it wasn't until I was a little burnt out and I needed to do something new. That's when I started to push a little bit more and, and actually go for it. And then I wrote a book eventually. So I guess that was a good decision. Yeah. You know, it was such a smart move to do, to, to, you know, you're feeling at that point where, oh my God, there's another one next week, you know, whatever that, that feeling might be. And you, but you use that as an opportunity to Im- improve yourself, improve your skill set. And yeah. that's what's made it fresh. I love that. Love that. Yeah. It's unusual. I love it. I think when on, on the four occasions maybe that I've shot weddings, um, I've always been, I've always been kind of scared of using off camera flesh just because it seems to take a lot of time to set up. And I'm wondering how you get over that. Um, whilst there's so many other things going on, uh, that you might've thought about. Well, I have an assistant. Wow. So when I know that I want to do some flash, I can just look to her and say, Hey, can you grab the Mm. B10 and put the orange gel on it? And then she does that while I'm still working with the clients. And then at some point when she's done, I'm like, okay, go over there and we'll make this gloomy day look like it's golden hour. (laughs) So that is huge. Um, I would not do nearly as much flash if I did not have an assistant. And some weddings where they're lower budget weddings and there's not an assistant on it, I'm shooting it mostly natural light. And the funny thing is, if you look at, like, I know I post a lot of stuff that has the flash and has a little bit more grand of an appeal. But if you look at a full wedding that I do, it looks like your typical natural light photographer, really. It's it's funny, but I just don't post that much on my Instagram, like the natural light and airy type photos because they don't get as much attention because I guess my followers are used to, you know, more flashy stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what interests me always is um, when you when you first started in photography, especially when you first started with your wedding photography business. How did you um, how did you go about getting clients in the first place and um, and growing your business at the very beginning? And then I know you mentioned earlier that you sort of typically in a typical year you would cap you would cap at about twenty uh, weddings a year, which which in my mind then must mean that you're probably then targeting um, the sort of slightly more expensive weddings or the, you know, the, the kind of clients that can afford um, to pay a little bit more for weddings. Um, how, yeah. did you, how did you manage to, to set up your business in the first place and how did you manage to maneuver it towards that, uh, that niche? Of it was all baby steps. So when mm-hmm. I first started my business, I photographed people like I knew. Um, it was very inexpensive at the time. So it was like a good deal. So the good deals, you know, they get more jobs. kind of like, I don't know, a budget shoe store is going to sell more shoes than a Louis Vuitton. And it's fine. They're both good business models. So I was on that lower end and I got jobs from photographers who already booked for the day, uh, people that I knew. And then uh, a DJ actually was one of the first jobs that I got, or, you know, he referred me to the couple that he was photographing. So it just slowly built. And then my rule, which someone taught me this a while back, and I wish I knew who it was, I do not remember, but they told me that every time someone books your highest package, 
you're too cheap and you need to raise your prices. So that's what I did. Right. Every single time someone booked my highest package, I would raise my prices baby steps. So I'm like $250, not like, oh, I've made it, you know, thousands of dollars more. No, that's super intimidating. Um, so just slowly, slowly, slowly built. And then as you build, then your portfolio looks better and you start attracting more higher end clients and you get to where you want to be. And I definitely hit a little bit of a cap at one point. Like it wasn't growing. And when I raised my prices, it wasn't booking as many as I wanted to. So then I backed off a little bit and I had that sweet spot actually for about three years. I never raised my prices. It was like, it was in a really good sweet spot for me, giving me the number of weddings I wanted and the kind of weddings I wanted. Hmm. And that worked. And then now with this move to Austin, I am reinventing all sorts of things. And it's ironic in in Austin where I'm moving, there's not a really high-end wedding market. There's a little bit, but it's much more rare than than here. The average price of a photographer is probably two or three thousand dollars less than it is here. So I'm adjusting to that and figuring out ways to do that. But at the same time, I'm still taking weddings in New Jersey. And to do that, I had to raise all of my prices by another two thousand dollars to compensate for the travel. Mm. And I'm now booking them all at $2,000 <laughs> higher than all of yeah. my regular prices I've had for the last two years. I don't know what happened. I'm sure there's some psychology when it comes to like, when you're in that good range to when you've like exceeded the norm and like, yeah. and the perceived value and all those things. Yeah. But I'm booking more weddings now for like 2022, 2023 at a much higher price point than I was when I was, you know, living here. Mm. <laughs> it's crazy. That's I don't know crazy. what I've been yeah, doing. A, <laughs> you know, that's a weird thing. I've actually experienced exactly the same thing with headshots. Um, really? So, yeah, it's it's been it's a weird thing. Um, so, my I think my the headshot part of my business, which which was really just sort of a side business um, or, or a small part of of my business as such, um, you know, it was kind of building up uh, for a year or two, and then um, and then the pandemic happened. And mm -hmm. then, when things start to open up again, um, a friend of a friend of mine from New York actually, um, you know, looked at it and said, "Like, dude, you're like, you're really, you know, you're not charging enough. You're completely underselling right. yourself. You should raise your prices." Mm -hmm. um, and so I did. And on the same day, I got another phone call um, from a lady who said I was charging too much. I kind of thought, well, I had two phone calls today. Mm -hmm. One person telling me I'm undercharging. The yep. other person telling me I'm charging too much. I'm probably just about right. However, yeah. I had just tripled my headshot prices. And I thought, I'm going to run with that for a little while, see what happens. And in the first like month, I booked more headshot sessions than, than I booked like in three, oh four gosh. months prior to the pandemic. And it's like, and I'm thinking like, how does that, how does that, how does that work? Like, this is completely beyond me, but it does seem to, yeah. does seem to work. It did work for me too. Um, but I did change the concept of what I was doing because previously I'd had um, different packages, very sim actually right. I, I guess very similar to wet to wedding packages where you have like an inexpensive um, option and sort of a medium option and then an expensive option, um, and they're all limited by the amount of photos, the amount of headshots that you get, and time by a right. lot, and, you know. And so with so I changed that to basically just one fee, um, so I have a, a session fee that's unlimited time. And, and then it's a per photo kind of fee on top of that. So, okay. uh, but all in, it works out about three times more expensive, you know, uh, than it was before. Mm -hmm. But the kind of work that I'm getting out of that, because 
I'm not limited in time. A, I'm getting clients that can afford to pay that. That's a completely different ballgame. And they seem to be referring on right. much more readily than than the clients that I get before that. Um, but also the 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 quality of work that I'm getting out of these sessions are much more portfolio worthy than the work you get when you have somebody come in for like a 20 minute headshot session. You know, right. you just don't get to the good stuff in in that limited amount of time. And that's that's what I've found. So so overall, I'm actually coming out with with you know better work that will lead to more interest because the work's better. And right. the you know, and the clientele I, I'm I seem to be ac- able to access is the kind of clientele that's more happy to refer what I'm doing. And so mm-hmm. it's just kind of automatically slowly snowballs um, by itself. It's been a really interesting move and I didn't really understand what was going on there initially. Um, it's a good move though. (laughs) Yeah. It seems it's, it seems to work. It's also more fun. It's less stressful for me. You know, um, it's a lot more stressful because I don't have to shoehorn people in for like 20, 20 minute sessions here and there. And like, you know, it's not so much of a volume game. Um, And so it's actually been much more relaxing for me. Uh, the work's better and, and the clients are happier. If you yeah. take anything from this podcast, raise your prices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, just raise your prices. You automatically will take better <laughs> pictures. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the idea of every time your top tier is booked of cranking the price just a touch, you know, as you say, a hundred, two hundred dollars, something like that. Mm. Well, that's a cracky bit of advice. Yeah, it really great. is. I never thought of it. Yeah. No, no, way, but it's no, great, that's yeah. that's not. In eighteen months, that's never come up. Hmm. We're doing this podcast. That's a fresh bit of insight, right there. Yeah. There it is, and you can't quote yeah. me on it because I did learn it from someone. I just can't remember who it was who said that. I generally, I think psychologically, uh, raising your prices for for any business uh, owner. So, I mean, psychologically, you're always. I mean, most people are a little bit concerned at that at that thought initially. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it takes it takes a little bit. You know, of getting yeah. over that um, to start with. It does. Because- it's so intimidating raising your prices. And then one person says you're too expensive. You're like, oh my God, my business is going under. That's it. <laughs> yeah. When realistically, it doesn't matter if you're a $500 photographer or $5,000 or $15,000 photographer, someone is going to tell you that you are charging too yeah. much. Yeah, they, for they, sure. They are just no longer your 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 client. That's right. all. You know? that's yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There are plenty of other photographers out there for them. Yeah. There's just like that one comment you get on your YouTube video or something that's a negative comment that stays with you, like, you know, causes you sleepless nights and rattles around mm-hmm. your brain <laughs> when there's yeah. like a couple of hundred positive comments at the same time that for some and reason. And that's how we can bring this full circle from start to end, because that is why I make wine and drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Well, it actually, that's a, that's a very good segue. So winemaking, yeah. tell me more, because uh, I, I have a historically interest in winemaking since I'm from a wine region. So there is a winemaking place in the the area around here, about 20 minutes from me. And my parents started making wine there. And I'm like, what is this? You're making wine? But and then you, everyone thinks of like the I Love Lucy and you're like stepping on grapes mm-hmm. with your bare feet. So we went with them. And it's a place where you go, you pick whatever grape you want. Uh, you know, they import grapes from Chile. They import juice from Italy because they won't let them import the actual grape. Mm. 
and you can come up with a combination of stuff. And then over the course of a year, you do the work it takes to create wine, which is not that much. Like you do a little bit of work the first time when you're like destemming all of the stuff, but all the grapes, you're just kind of putting it in a machine. And then you do little bits of things here and there, but you go about four times over the course of like a year to 18 year barrel of 50 gallons of wine and you do it with friends. So you split the cost, and every time you go, you drink wine and yeah, you do right. your work, but then you sit and drink and eat with family and friends. And so you end up with about 20, 21 cases of wine from the 50 gallon barrel. Uh, and I just slap a sticker on it that has my logo on it too. So now it's tax deductible wine. Brilliant. I'd go every day. I spent I spent years in the school holidays when I was at you know at high school, um, working in the vineyards just to earn a little bit of extra cash, you know. So the whole like destemming and and making the wine part that just you know sounds very familiar to me. It's Germany, that fa- yep. that famous country for really high quality wine. The south, well, no, the southwest is yeah, the yeah. southwest is. Yeah, because we're just on the French border, you see. So. Oh, we see hop, uh, yep. like hops, beer hops, and whatnot as I go through Germany. That's more of the on the Bavarian side. So ah, well, that's like that, oh, that, that makes sense because yeah. that's the region I've been to most. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, cool, um, fantastic. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it was a definite, definite education as always. Um, <laughs> Learn something new, Jack. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, now we know how to raise prices properly. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, perfect. Thanks for having me. This was such a nice, like, just conversation versus, you know, all the questions I get about what camera I use, which I like to talk about, obviously, but a little redundant after a while. <laughs> it gets tiresome, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think the best, the best compliment we ever got, other than yours just now, was I think Moose Peterson, when we, when we interviewed him, he goes like, you know, this is the, the first podcast I've ever done where... Um, the word F-stop was not mentioned even once. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Great. So thank you so much again uh, for coming on the podcast. And um, hopefully we'll see you soon. Wish you all the best with your move to to Dallas or Austin even. Austin, Um, thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, And of course, now that we've come to the end of episode 69, if you have been listening to the uh, audio version of this podcast, uh, be reminded that you can see us in full Technicolor over on YouTube. All you have to go is go to all you have to do is go to youtube.com forward slash camera shake. Um, whilst you're there, as always, you know, hit the little subscribe button, hit that bell thing, um, and all of that good stuff. That'd be awesome. And remember, you can head over to camerashakepodcast.com to our website and join our camera shake community. We will, of course, not bombard you with <laughs> lots of newsletters and stuff, but you know, there might be some, some interesting stuff that we're coming up with over the next few days. And finally. Um, if you've made it this far, then you might be interested to hear that both Nick and myself will be at the photography show mm. in Birmingham uh, on the, is it the 19th and 20th of September? Yeah, Birmingham, please. Birmingham. <laughs> Can't say Birmingham. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a thing. But yeah, so you will see both, um, uh, both Nick and myself at the photography show. If you want to hook up, let us know. Um, send us a message or whatever we'll be there it'll be awesome to see you all there and Sounds good. speak to you in person after this pandemic year of lots of screens Whew. now that's it episode 69 we'll see you next week thank you